Welcome back to Psalm Sketches. I'm so glad to be here with you. Today, uh, we are going to be uh, diving into Psalm 22. Uh, Psalm 22 uh, stands out from all the other psalms in the uh, Hebrew Scriptures, I think, because of its uh, remarkably detailed and uh, poetic and, and almost extreme expression of human suffering, and of the emotional trauma that accompanies human suffering. This is a psalm of David, and I want to begin with a reflection um, on this psalm. So take a listen to the uh, reflection, and then after that, we'll discuss it for a little bit. Psalm 22, unlike Psalm 21, one of uh, the, the most um, uh, uplifting and, and emotionally joyful psalms in the whole uh, canon of uh, psalms, this is a psalm that is much more um, dour. It's much uh, more uh, sad and doleful and mournful in its expression of, of human emotion. And as I've said all along, we're trying to capture the particular human emotion, a facet of human experience and how a person expresses it, and, and look at it as inspired by God in the sense that this is the way a human being under suffering or under uh, attack from his enemies or under uh, a state of grief would respond to the situation if led by the Spirit of God, because David and these other psalmists are writing under the direct influence of the Holy Spirit who's inspiring these poems. And so I want to take a look at Psalm 22 today, and, and of course, we're going to have to discuss the topic of suffering. Suffering is so challenging to talk about. I bet if you were to scour the internet for sermons on suffering, I bet you that you know 60% of the, ser of the sermons that you came across would in some way touch on the matter of suffering because it is so vital um, uh, to the human experience and to the human struggle. Every civilization has had to, in some way, uh, develop a, a, a mental framework for understanding 
human suffering and for uh, charging the idea of suffering with some purpose or meaning that justifies it. A lot of our songs, a lot of our poetry today, uh, whether it's about uh, living on the streets, whether it's about going through a divorce, whether it's about um, a breakup or a lost love or the rejection of someone who loves you, whether it's about um, losing someone to illness, whether it's about um, a political tragedy, whatever it is, so much of our creative expression revolves around this topic of human suffering. And so I don't know how in the world I'm going to um, canvas, canvas this topic in 15 minutes, but I want to try to by looking specifically at this psalm and talk about something I learned when uh, diving into this text from the scriptures and applying this framework I've been using to understand psalms uh, to this particular passage of David. The first thing I want to do is to read a selection of the psalm. It's a bit long and I don't want to read the entire thing, but I want to read a passage of it. And then I want to try to explain a couple things that stood out to me when examining this text. Psalm 22 in the NIV. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer, by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. And you, our ancestors, put their trust. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. And you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insult, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. And then a little later, do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is turned to wax, it is melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothing among them and cast lots for my garment. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Now, these are a couple select verses out of the psalm. And one thing that became clear to me right away is that none of the things or very few of the things David is describing here actually happened to David based on the historical record we have of his life. This idea of his bones being out of joint, of people staring at him, tearing up his clothes uh, and, and giving them away by lots. These are things which have been believed for several thousand years by Christian scholars to be prophecies about the death of Jesus. And so I think we have to understand that, first of all, David, in expressing his uh, suffering here, is probably referring to an experience of suffering in his own life, but he is clearly having some sort of supernatural vision of suffering that involves staring at Jesus Christ in his moments of agony on the cross. Now, I don't know how that works. I don't know what that inspiration looks like. Maybe he had a vision of someone he did not know, but knew that that person was somehow important. But he sees this person suffering, and in some way, David connects his suffering 
to the suffering of this man on the cross as he sees the events of the crucifixion play out. And I think that's a clue to what the psalm is all about. When we encounter suffering, what we try to do, what there are thousands of books written about that you can access in a library or a Christian bookstore, are that there should be an explanation for everything we suffer, for every broken relationship, for every mispromotion, uh, for every physical tragedy or pain we suffer. We want an explanation. And I think that is the wrong way to approach the problem of suffering. Now, in some cases, suffering can have benefits. In some cases, our suffering can lead to spiritual growth. In many cases, our suffering can lead to uh, providing us with some sort of apparatus to help other people who suffer when they come to us for comfort or advice. But ultimately, I don't think that is the best way to heal in a time of suffering, or even the best way to cope with suffering. What I think David is cluing us into here is that when we experience extreme suffering, in David's case here, it is, it is physical suffering, it is emotional suffering, he's being mocked and humiliated, and it is spiritual suffering because he feels as though God has forsaken him. Though at the end of the psalm, he admits that God has not forsaken him. God has not turned his face away. And how did he come to the place where he was able to grapple with suffering and triumph over the despair that encroaches into his life because of that suffering? To me, it is about not explaining suffering, but identifying properly with those who suffer when you experience the pain. It's not explanation, it's identification. First, he identifies with Christ. He sees his sufferings as in some way a reflection of this person who had not suffered yet in history, uh, but who in God's providence and through spiritual revelation is being shown to David as a suffering person in this moment. David sees him suffering, and in that he feels a relief, or uh, as Aristotle taught, a catharsis. Aristotle taught that sometimes we want to see our heroes in, in plays, in drama, suffer right? Because it doesn't necessarily explain our suffering, but something about seeing someone else suffer helps relieve us of the pain and the loneliness that accompanies suffering. The feeling that we are alone and that no one can help us or deliver us, that no one can understand what it feels like to feel suffering. But there's more to it than that because later in the psalm, David talks about the people throughout the generations, past and present, who have also grappled with suffering, grappled with questions of whether God cares and is present in their suffering, and who ultimately came to believe that God was faithful in suffering. So David, at the end of the psalm, even says, future generations will praise you because of what I've suffered. Future generations will see what happened to me, and they will make sense of their own suffering because of him. So suffering all across history unites humanity. And unlike uh, uh, the Buddhists who try to eliminate suffering by eliminating desire in their life, we as, as Christian people of a Christian faith should, I think, approach suffering as something that is inherently meaningful because it builds a deeper connection to God. Not just because our suffering drives us to a place of desperation before God, where we are more likely to pray when we suffer, more likely to seek God's wisdom when we suffer than perhaps what we do when we're happy or content with the way our lives are, are working out circumstantially. But it's also because we feel a connection to others. 
I think in the body of Christ, we do not always suffer with each other well. We figure each of us has his own suffering, her own suffering. I don't need to immerse myself in someone else's. And surely you don't need to absorb all of other people's suffering. But to see someone suffering and then to reflect on it in your own life is very important. The poet John Donne talked about this when he said, every man is, is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. No man is an island. Uh, and in that, in that actual meditation, he was describing hearing the church bells telling him that someone in suffering had died or was about to die. And he says, I have to make sense of my suffering when I hear about other people's suffering. And he said, I have to turn it into something meaningful. In fact, there's a, uh, there's a beautiful metaphor at the end of that meditation. I think it's Meditation 17, if you want to look it up and read it, where John Donne, uh, the Renaissance poet from England, says, suffering is like gold, a block of gold, which, though inherently valuable, can't do any good for you as, until you mint it into currency. He said, uh, just a chunk of gold, if I walk into a store, uh, it's going to be difficult to trade with, but if I bring in currency, people are more readily, uh, more readily willing to give me something to trade with me, to use that that uh, gold as currency to purchase something. So he said, suffering has value, uh, but not in and of itself, but in how you view it and how you learn from it. And again, I don't think we're meant to just learn doctrine from it, to learn information from it, but to see ourselves as part of a larger. Um, uh, human patchwork of people who have suffered and who have found God faithful. Our suffering ties us to those in the past who have suffered before, and it enables us to see our suffering as redemptive to those who come after us. Because we suffer, they will not feel alone in their suffering. And we, because we know others have suffered before us, will not feel alone. And most importantly, we know that Christ himself has suffered in his body, and therefore we, in a sense, suffer with him when we suffer. He redeems our suffering. He makes it meaningful. He makes it useful. He makes it beautiful in some sense uh, before God. I think we can treat our suffering and how we handle it as an offering to God. So suffering will always be painful, but it doesn't have to be meaningless and it doesn't have to lead to despair. So walking away from the Psalm, having dived into a very, very painful account of emotional suffering, physical suffering, and spiritual suffering, which is a real thing, to feel the loneliness or absence uh, before God and of God in our lives. How do we deal with it? Well, I think when we face suffering, whether it's, again, emotional, physical, or spiritual, whether it's loneliness, whether it's grief, whether it's physical pain or discomfort, if we, in that moment, visualize Christ's suffering and see ourselves as one with him in that moment, as David did in this moment of suffering. And if we learn to share in our suffering as part of a, a greater story of how humankind suffers and is still redeemed in spite of their suffering, who suffers and finds meaning to pass on to, past gener to, to future generations and finds meaning in it as they reflect on past generations. These, this, I think, is the best way to cope with suffering. It's more abstract than simply saying, uh, here's the three steps to eliminate suffering, or here's the three steps to cope with suffering. It's not, you know, psychological technique. It is not intellectual answers that, that David offers us here. It's a spiritual sense of continuity with past, present, future, and Jesus Christ, whose suffering stretches across all those dimensions of time. I hope you enjoyed this reflection on Psalm 22. We'll move on to other Psalms very soon. 
And, uh, and I hope that you are also encouraged to make your own reflections. Uh, if you want to make a song and, and, and share it with me by email at psalmsketches at gmail.com, if you write a poem, or simply have a few extra thoughts to add uh, to what I said, which is certainly not comprehensive of all the thousands of things you could say when you dig into the Psalms and find meaning there. But I just want to encourage you to engage in this journey with me. And if you want to contact me quickly uh, or make a quick comment, uh, you can do so at psalmsketches on Twitter. Have a wonderful day, and thanks again for listening.